Well, it's good to be here this morning. Just really appreciated some of the worship this morning. I just can't help but consider the, the song BJ was singing about, God, you've been so, so good to me. Where would I be if it weren't for you? You know, when I started coming to this church, I was 18, and I was an absolute hooligan. Sorry, Dad. Um, but I was. I really, really was. But I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. I, I might be in jail. It's possible. I was not a good kid. But it's amazing what God can do with us. You know, when I first started coming to the church, um, I was actually a commercial fisherman. And I had hair, believe it or not. But uh, I was a commercial fisherman when I first started coming to the church. And I, I learned something kind of interesting, and I thought I'd start here this morning. What's the longest you've ever gone without showering? A day? A couple days? A week? Okay, I went three weeks without showering. Not really a good idea. That was the longest. But you know, when you don't go without showering for a while, it's interesting because we kind of just sort of grow accustomed to our own smell. And I remember one time we came back and... Uh, we went out, we landed, we'd been gone for a long time at sea, and I hadn't showered, and we were super hungry, we were tired of the boat food, and we really, we wanted a burger, you know? So we went to a restaurant, skipped the shower, went to the restaurant, and the server was kind of standing back, taking our order, and anyway, it was the first time I really realized that, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm actually not a good judge of my own smell. And you know what? It's true. We're not a good judge of our own smell. And from a scriptural standpoint, in 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 12, it says that if we measure ourselves by ourselves, we are not wise. So we shouldn't measure ourselves by our own selves, and we, uh, by our own selves, because we do. We grow accustomed to us. We grow accustomed to our own smell. And I actually think smell is a great analogy, and it's what we're going to talk about. Because as Christians, God tells us that we're supposed to smell of something. And we're supposed to smell of the aroma of Christ. And that's what I want to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn into a scripture here, but I'm going to put it up on the, the screen for us. It's 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 17, or 14 to 17. So 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 17, and it says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us, in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak. I love what it says in the message. I love the, just a bit of the play on words. And he says it this way. He says that God leads us from one place to another place in one perpetual victory parade. I love the word victories coming through this morning. God leads us on a perpetual victory parade. And it says that through us that he wants to bring this, this knowledge of Christ and that it is a fragrant and pleasing aroma. And it's aroma that should be redolent with life. This is the imagery that it says in the message. So here's the picture for us, right? As a Christian, as a believer, when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes and lives in us and he works in our lives. 
And he leads us in a life of victory. And wherever we go, whether it's to work, to the grocery store, whether it's to church, wherever we go, that actually there should be a fragrance coming through our life. And it should be the fragrance of Christ. You know, it says to some, it's life to life, the fragrance of Christ. And to others, it's the smell of death, right? So here's your picture, right? So if I today had come straight from a barbecue and had a great big pile of steaming hot, delicious steaks to the vegan and vegetarian around you here, you guys, this is death. You are, you are repulsed. You are upset and you're wishing that I was grilling vegetables, right? Death to death. This is not a good smell to you. But to my fellow meditarians here, you're smelling steaks and you're drooling and you are following me around and you can't wait to have a peace. You see the difference? But you see, as a believer for us, there should be an aroma in us coming through our lives that causes a response to those around us. So that's the question for us today is, how do we smell to others? Do we have a smell? Maybe we've bought into, bought into this culture we live in where people are so easily offended. So the smell, we're going odorless. So we're just not, we're not letting it out. We don't want to tell people and, you know, our relationship with God and what Christ is doing in our lives just becomes this, this inward thing that we don't share. And, you know, we kind of put a cloak over it and we kind of hide it on the inside, you know, kind of like Superman, you know, Superman wears the suit and when he's Ken Clark and underneath, he's got the Superman outfit on, but he only takes it out at certain times. You know, for us, that isn't really what God's called us to be. God says that the aroma, the fragrance should follow us wherever we are, that it should be pouring out from our lives. So for us, what do we smell like? Is the smell desirable or is it stale? Is it stale? You know, with that steaming pile of meat I'm referencing, it smells really good when it comes off the barbecue, but the smell sort of fades, doesn't it? It doesn't really have much of a smell the next day, and then the next day, and then, you know, if you go for too long, it kind of starts to go rancid, doesn't it? So how do we smell? How do we actually smell? Because with the aroma of Christ, this isn't something that we can manufacture. You know, I, I love the new car scent. You know, when you, step, when you get in a new car and you sit in it, it just has this smell to it. And uh, it's funny because now you can just go by the air freshener and make your really old car smell nice. You know, you can skip the vacuum and all that and just put the nice new car scent in and it sort of smells good. But eventually it sort of fades and whatever the aroma was you were trying to mask in your car kind of comes back up, doesn't it? You see, God's looking for the authentic aroma of him in our lives. We can't mask anything here. So, wherever you're at, God's coming in for a smell test. And it's a good thing. Maybe you're already recognizing this and you're on this journey. Maybe we just need some encouragement. But I believe that this is something for us individually, but it's something for us corporately. That God is wanting to raise up a people that have an incredibly desirable, fragrant aroma of Jesus pouring out. That's what he's looking for. And you know, for us as individuals, there's something really significant here because if one of us takes this seriously, and if one of us has the aroma of Christ pouring through your life, remember it says that 
to those, some of the, some, for some of us, it's life to life. It actually creates a hunger and a desire in us. And as one of you come into community with the aroma of Christ pouring out, it actually causes a hunger in the rest of us to want to go deeper with God and to have that aroma in our lives. Have you ever been around a Christian that you want what they have and you just see it pouring out of them? Anybody? Show of hands, you guys are quiet. Yeah, okay, so there is a few of you. So I'm not alone in this. It's desirable, isn't it? God wants to do that in us. So I really felt that maybe there's some keys for us to help us on this. So if we want the aroma of Christ, what are some keys? So here's the first one. Let him lead. Let him lead. He's got to lead. In verse 14, it says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Who leads? He leads. You know, I think of it almost as a driving analogy. You know, when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, Lord means that he's the one ruling in our life, right? It's like he's the one driving in our life. And we, when we come to Christ, this is where we should all start. But I feel like many of us, we kind of have this tendency to want to just sort of slip into the driver's seat, don't we? Right? Kind of when everything's going well and we go, you know what, God, I'm good. I'm going to take control. And, you know, we're driving through life. And usually it's sort of right before we crash. Sometimes some of us kind of keep holding on and we do crash. But somewhere in that moment, we go, oh, Lord, you take control. You take control. I want out. Anybody ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, me too, right? We want to we go, okay, Lord, you can, you can drive, right? But you see, I think that honestly for all of us, it's a heart check. Is he still leading? Because if we want the aroma of Christ in our lives, it must be him leading. So he needs to lead. And we all need to have a heart check and say, you know what, God, are you still, are you still in control? Are you leading in my life? Let's look closer at this. It says, Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Okay, that's quite a picture. I think sometimes perhaps we can misinterpret this. When we read this, we think, okay, and we'll say it this way. Let's say what it doesn't mean. So this doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. Sorry. It doesn't mean that we're going to succeed at everything we put our hand to. It doesn't. And it also doesn't mean that we're never going to make mistakes or that we're never going to face hardship. What did Jesus say? He said, in this world, you will have everything perfect. It's all going to work out. No problem. Is that what he said? No, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, fear not, for I've overcome the world. So yeah, we're going to face hardship. We don't have to do it alone. We have Christ. So what does this mean that Christ will always lead us in triumphal procession? It means that regardless or irrespective of the circumstances that we face, no matter what it is, that if we let him lead, we can live a life that magnifies Christ. Do you catch that? If we let him lead, we can live a life that magnifies Christ. So our lives can magnify Jesus despite the trials we're in, 
despite the hardship we're facing, despite the mistakes and shortcomings in our lives, our lives can still give off the aroma of Christ, even in those moments. Do you know why that is? I'm glad you asked. Why, right? Glad you asked. Okay, it's this. It's because the aroma of Christ doesn't come from a perfect life. It comes from Christ at work in our life. The aroma comes from Christ at work in our life. We have to let him lead. I think there's a fabulous picture of what this look like, looks like. And maybe some of you are really good dancers. Maybe some of you just haven't a clue and you have two left feet. But it's almost like a divine dance with God. And when you watch people dance, one person can lead. Two people can't lead. And it's often the subtle gestures of a hand motion or a hand on the back that's pulling forward. It's these little things that, that, that give such display of beauty as there's twirls and spins and things that happen in a dance. And it's very much the same with God. That it's the little things as God comes and gently moves in our lives and it's how we respond to his leading and the gentle nudges that allow the fragrance of him to come through our lives. But if we're rigid, we look ridiculous, right? I thought it would be a great picture if there was a couple here that could dance fabulously. You could come and show us. And then I thought, you know, for the other side of it, maybe it'd be really humorous if we just got BJ and Andy to dance, right? Because it'd be a really good picture of rigidity and people fighting over who's the man and who's leading in this, right? But sometimes we can be like that. We're kind of just rigid and we just don't know. And actually, there's a gentleness with God when we let him lead. And it can look beautiful. And you know what? It's actually him that makes us look good. Did you know that? It's him that makes us look good. It's his gentle nudges. We can have no clue what to do and a really good dancer can make someone look amazing that actually doesn't know what they're doing if they're willing to be led. What a cool picture for us. You know, in, in two, um, Chronicles 7, we've been talking about this uh, and kind of incorporating it in a lot of our uh, messages. And it just says that if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. And I just want to touch on this piece of humility for a moment because in this piece of letting him lead, actually a lot of this comes from an attitude of humility. Because humility is an attitude in a position of our heart. And it's, it's an acknowledgement of our position in relation to God. And it's one of saying, you're Lord, I'm letting you lead. And my position in humility is that I am your son and I am your daughter, but you are Lord. That's humility. Humility isn't thinking lowly of ourselves, that we're worms. And it's certainly not thinking highly of ourselves like we're God. It's actually taking our rightful place and position in relation to his lordship. And it's from that place where we get to walk in a place of humility. But we walk in that place as heirs, as sons and daughters, and with authority. And it has nothing to do with us. And it has everything to do with him. That's the picture of humility for us. And that's what it looks like when we let him lead. Humility is a strong person that knows their position and their authority in relationship to God. 
So God wants us to position ourselves appropriately with him and letting him lead is the first step. So for us, if we want the aroma of Christ, let him lead. We can't go anywhere until we start there. What's the next thing? So the second point, I've got four of these. We must settle that the aroma is Jesus and it's not us. It's the aroma of Jesus. It's the fragrance of him that gets spread. It's not our fragrance. It's the fragrance of him. And it's only because of him that there's a fragrance in our lives that's good. Let me make it real simple. Sometimes I need it real simple. Without Jesus, we stink. That's it. Without him, we stink. There is no thing that we can do that's going to somehow make us smell good in God's eyes. There isn't. Not being a good person, not serving others, not helping or serving the homeless. Whatever the good, amazing thing is that you think you can do to somehow earn favor in God's eyes and have this aroma in your life, it's not good enough. Only Jesus is good enough. It's only him. It's not about our efforts in this. It's about his mercy and grace poured out in our lives. It's about Jesus. So why Jesus? Why isn't it us? I just thought it'd be helpful actually to look at some scripture and go back to the Old Testament and give you a picture of this. So if I go back to Noah, and when the ark landed, so the flood was over and the ark landed, and all of surviving creation is now found to recreate, and they find land, and now they're here to repopulate the earth. What's the first thing that Noah does? Let's read the scripture. The very first thing. It says in Genesis 8, 20 to 22, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Before Noah does anything, now surely you'd think like, Make sure that these animals live and they have food and set up a camp and a shelter and look after my family. Whatever you might think your priorities would be, Noah, the first thing he says, he says, no, no. The only thing that matters in this moment is that we build an altar and give sacrifice to God. You see, he knew that it was God's grace and mercy that saved them. And the attitude heart the heart attitude of Noah was to build an altar to give glory to God. You see, it was, a, it was something God was doing in him of a reestablishment of God as Lord as the highest, most important, and significant priority in the life of man was putting God in that place. And he gathers up and he takes something that costs and he makes sacrifice. He makes sacrifice from the animals there. And it says that this is the aroma and it wasn't specifically the animals. It was actually the heart attitude. Yes, there's a sacrifice and there's an action, but it was the heart attitude that's the pleasing aroma. And for us, we know that this is a foreshadow 
of Jesus to come. You know, we know in this situation that actually Noah sets a precedence of how, uh, how mankind prior to Jesus would, would come before God and almost make um, atonement for sin. It was this precedent that he sets. It was making sacrifice before God. And we know that Jesus becomes the ultimate sacrifice because we had to keep doing it. If you go back to the Old Testament, you see constantly that man would come before God and sacrifice would be made. And, and God said, hold on, there's a better way. And he sends his son, Jesus, who becomes that ultimate sacrifice, who pays for it in full, one and done. And now you and I today don't have to make sacrifice. Amazing. Jesus did it. Incredible. How many are excited about that? We could probably stop there. (laughs) He did it. So when we look at this, we know that it's Christ at work in us that is this next step. So we talk about the aroma of Christ. So the next thing for us is that Christ needs to be formed in us. Christ needs to be formed in us. The message says that through us, he brings the knowledge of Christ. Through us, the knowledge of Christ comes. So that means that he needs to be in us. And aroma works from the inside out. In Galatians 4.19, it says, My little children, from whom I am again suffering birth pains, until Christ is completely and permanently formed within you. I'm reading from the Amplified there. You see, we don't just put Jesus on. We don't just get to spray him on like perfume and skip the shower, right? How many of you know you can't do that for too many days? You can't just sort of put on the cologne and the deodorant and keep skipping the shower. You guys, all right, okay. I'm just making some hygiene tips. You can't do that for too many days. People are going to know, okay? But we don't just put Jesus on, And I know you're going to say, well, Paul, there's a scripture in Romans that says that we're to clothe ourselves with Christ. Sure, but this isn't what it's talking about. It isn't talking about just adding Jesus. Christ needs to be permanently formed inside us. And it is a process. So maybe, maybe today we're here and we're hearing about the aroma and we're hearing about this process. Maybe the aroma in some of our lives has gone stale. Maybe the process of Christ being formed in us has just been put on hold. You know, like a building project where you just kind of run out of time or vision or attention and you just go, ah, you know what? How many of you have renovation projects you've just been putting on hold? How many are in the middle of a whole bunch of them? <laughs> BJ and I, yeah. But maybe that's us. Maybe, maybe we've put this on hold. Or maybe today you're hearing some of this and you're just hungry for more. Maybe you're hungry for more. Maybe you're going, yeah, I'm experiencing what you're talking about, Paul, the aroma of Christ in my life and I want more. Amazing. Maybe you're hearing me talk this morning and you're going, man, I need to get to know this Jesus guy. I want some of this in my life. And if that's you today and you haven't chosen Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, he's, and you're not on this journey of seeing the aroma of him in your life being worked out, then at the end of the service, come up front, come and chat with us. Let's introduce you to Jesus because it's got to start there. But here's, a, here's an amazing thing is it doesn't actually matter where we are in this journey. Once we've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, 
There's two very simple foundational things for us that if we want to be on process of Christ being formed in our lives, if we want that to be happening with us, there's very two things, there's two things we need to be found doing. We need to be found in his word and we need to be found in his presence. The process actually can't happen if we're not found spending time with him in his word and in his presence. It's two very practical things. So wherever we are in the spectrum this morning of Christ being formed in us, can I encourage you? There's two things take away. I promise you the outcome will be Christ being worked out in your life and being formed in you if you're found in his word and found in his presence. And this is a process. And this is, I love how Paul puts this. He says in Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our old self is dead and gone. Christ was victorious over that. And here we now stand in Christ, with Christ being formed in us. You know, as as we've read the scripture in Corinthians, and it talks about Christ leading us in triumphal procession, if we dig deeper in this, the word translates, uh, it's it's a word, it's therambusis or therambusis, I don't know how to pronounce it. That's fine. Let me tell you what it means though, okay? It says that it refers to what a Roman general does when he takes his people that he's, that he's had victory over. He takes them and he leads them into captivity, either to slavery or to death. There's this piece of victory that comes and he takes them and he leads them in this triumphal procession. So for us actually, This process is Christ taking us captive out of darkness and into light. And the triumphal procession, we actually become as the trophy or the symbol of God's grace. It's an incredible picture. But sometimes I think we might think that we're what's significant. How many of you know that with a trophy, that a trophy is usually just a piece of metal, some of them are plastic, that it actually isn't the trophy that's so, so significant. It's actually what it symbolizes. And it's the same for us, that we're the trophy of Christ's victory in our lives. And I was thinking about this, that he leads us from victory to victory, right? From on a perpetual victory parade. It means that wherever God is taking us in life, that God has victory for us. It's victory over sin, absolutely. But it's also victory over sickness, victory over disease, victory over insecurity. It's victory over fear. It's victory over past hurts. Whatever you're facing, God has victory for you in your life. He wants to lead us from victory to victory. How good is God? How good is God? What a picture. And you know, it might not always look the way you want. But God can be magnified in your life through it. He can be magnified in your life through it. What a picture. God is so gracious. I just really felt for us that that you are a symbol of his victory. And if our lives are pointing people to how great we are, we've missed it. Our lives should point people to how great he is.
because it is all about him. And it's his aroma that draws people, not ours. It's his aroma that can bring people into this place of change to know him. And this is a process, but God has called us to a life of victory. He's called us on a journey of Christ being formed in us. And it's one of us, it's one of, it's a journey of bringing us into maturity. That's why you hear Andy and us keep talking about this equip. I want to encourage you. It's a place where maturity can happen. We talk about being found in his presence and being found in his word. You know, saying yes to Jesus sometimes is inconvenient. Yeah, you know, coming to equip might mean taking a few days off of work out of your holidays just to come and hear what it is that God is saying, to be strengthened and encouraged and built up. But I promise you, lives are changed in those decisions. And that's just one example. But let me encourage you, come to equip. But if God is drawing you to spend time with him and to choose him, do it. Because he's got us on this journey of maturity. Amen? Okay, so what else? If we want the aroma of Christ in our lives, this is the last point I want to share. But we must witness. The aroma needs to come out. Okay? So when we read this, I want to say that it actually should come naturally. If we followed these steps, if Christ is leading us, right? If he's being formed in us, then this witness piece, it comes naturally. We know that when we receive the Holy Spirit, or when we receive Christ, we get the Holy Spirit, and he comes and lives and dwells inside of us. Christ is in the process of being formed in us, and we're to be leaky Christians. If you take a sponge and you saturate it in water, and you take it around your house, it's going to drip. Just try it. Your wife might not be happy with you if you do that, but it'll make a mess, right? Like, because when we saturate ourselves with him, we can't help but drip the aroma. We can't help but drip Jesus wherever we are. The fragrance should come out. We can't manufacture it. You know, it says that through us, God spreads the aroma of him. That word spread, it's an action word. God wants to spread the knowledge of him. Well, what is he referencing? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about our encounter with God that has brought change and adjustment in our life. It's Christ at work taking us from victory to victory. It's in those things in our lives that, that Christ wants to come out, that the aroma of who he is and what he's done in our lives wants to come out. I was reading through some research um, and a study that was done by Lifeway Research. It was done in 2016. 2,000 people were, were surveyed in the U.S. It was for the Billy Graham Center of Evangelism um, for the Wheaton College. And I, I love statistics, but we know that statistics, we have to take them with a grain of salt because they're only as good as the, num- as the, as the numbers that are put into them, right? If anybody likes stats. But I still think that in this, Although it was 2,000 and it wasn't 200,000, I still think there's some truth in these statistics. Listen to what it says here. 51% of people say that an invitation from a friend or a neighbor from the church would be an effective way to getting them to come and visit. 
51%. How many of you are here because there was an invitation? There's a few. All right. 26% of people said in the survey that they would attend a small group for people just curious about God. So Jonathan, I think people are going to respond to your pitch there. 55% say that a personal invitation from a family member would be effective in getting them to come to visit. 55%. 18% of people say, here's a good one, techies, Andy. 18% of people say that an ad on Facebook would get them to come and visit a church. Technology is a tool. Social media is a tool. Amazing. People respond to that. A website's a tool. 79% say that they do not mind their friends talking about their faith if they really value it. We have the good news, friends. We have the good news. Our lives should leak the aroma of Christ. People want to hear it. These statistics are telling us that people want to hear it. But there's a catch here. It has to be genuine. Did you hear this? That 79% don't mind people talking about their faith if they genuinely believe it. There's something that's genuine here. You see, we cannot manufacture the aroma of Christ. It's got to be genuine. And when it's genuine, people desire it. People desire it. People are hungry for authentic Jesus. They're tired of self-centered Christianity. You know, the gospel is not about us. It's about Jesus. The aroma of Christ in our lives isn't, wow, look at how great I am because of Jesus. It's no, look at how great Jesus is because of what he's done in my life. Good, bad, or indifferent. He's at work. Our lives get to get to just demonstrate this to people. You know, in the end of this verse, it says that in the message, actually, I'll read it in the ESV. It just says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak. In the message, it says, that at least we don't take God's word, water it down, and then take it to the streets and sell it cheap. Wow. The challenge for us is that people are hungry for the authentic work of Christ in our lives. Are we still letting him work in our lives? Are we still being found in his presence? Are we still allowing him to be formed in us? And it's in this process, friends, that we see the aroma of Christ pouring out of us. And it's what draws people to him. It's what draws people to him. We are in a society that is starving for relationship with God. And a manufactured aroma isn't going to draw them. The authentic one will. Friends, that's what I have to say this morning. I'm going to turn it over to Andy for where we go from here. But I just want to encourage you that wherever you're at on this journey, that God is so good and he is so faithful and that you can carry the aroma that I speak of here. 
that this isn't about one person and it isn't about a perfect life. This is about God at work in each one of our lives. And no matter where you are at, he wants to work and he wants the aroma to come through you. Amen? Amen.